Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our webinar for diocesan point persons. My name is Julianne Stans on behalf of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and also our Eucharistic Revival team. We are so glad to be here with you today. Thank you so much for being with us all. And we're going to be um, inviting you to share, if you have not already, where you're from, where you're joining from uh, um, with us today. Um, all across the country, we're seeing people from Texas and Florida, from Michigan and Minnesota, from my home state of Wisconsin. So continue to share with us in the chat bar as we begin our conversation today. We couldn't take the opportunity um, to begin our webinar without live streaming the feed from the Holy Father as we enter into this um, solemn occasion in the life of the church. It's a most providential beginning for this conversation today. Just a few housekeeping notes as I welcome our esteemed guests with us today. This meeting will be recorded for you to review and share. We would highly encourage that you share this uh, with your diocesan team and all those that you think would benefit from hearing this information. Please ensure that your microphone is on mute and um, you can participate in sharing your questions, your thoughts, your insights with us through the chat bar. Just a note that we do have a dedicated time for questions and answers and you can start gathering those as we speak. But to open our conversation today, we are going to welcome Bishop Cousins who are so blessed to have us have with us today, who is installed as the eighth bishop of the Diocese of Crookston, Minnesota, on December 6th, 2021. A very Marian time of the year, and indeed today is also a beautiful day to entrust this webinar to Our Lady. Bishop Cousins is a native of Denver and is the youngest of three children, a graduate of Benedictine College, uh, where he grew in faith through the charismatic renewal movement. Prior to entering seminary, he served as a team leader of NET and is known by his fellow netters across the country, which is a traveling uh, ministry to youth. His first NET ministry assignment was actually to Crookston, which is a beautiful providential moment for him. Um, as He was ordained a bishop um, in, on, on December 9th, 2013, on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception at the Cathedral of St. Paul. So it's true that Our Lady really loves and blesses uh, the work that he is doing through his ministry. Bishop Cousins, thank you for joining us today, and we would love you to pray us into this conversation. Thank you so so much. It's great to be with you. And I uh, want to begin, maybe just, yeah, uh, continuing that prayer that our Holy Father just led us in with a, with a short prayer, and then really an explanation about what we're doing in the revival. I have a little trouble with my headset, so let me just adjust it. Okay, if you can't hear me, then give me a thumbs down or something like that. But if you can hear me, a thumbs up from the moderators. Great. So, um, yeah, just a great gift to be with you. But let's pray again, asking Our Lady to bless our time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Queen of Heaven. Uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary, we turn to you as we entrust to you this Eucharistic revival, as we ju have just entrusted you, really our whole world, and especially Russia and Ukraine. And we ask for your intercession that the Holy Spirit would use this revival to bring a about a great renewal of devotion and love for your Son in the Blessed Eucharist. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 
So yeah, it's really my job to speak to you a little bit about um, a Eucharistic revival and uh, the fact that the bishops are doing a Eucharistic revival. And uh, I want to just talk a little bit about how this came about and why it's so important and uh, to thank you for your participation. So you're all our early adapters and we're really grateful that you have joined as either point dialysis and point person or those working with them and really grateful for the, the key role that you're going to play in this revival. So um, first off, just to share why I think this is so important right now. You know, even before the COVID-19 pandemic dramatically affected our worship in the United States, Bishop Robert Barron, who was at that time the chair of the Bishop's Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, the position that I now hold, he already began talking about the possibility of doing a Eucharistic revival. And he got about 10 committee chairs of the USCCB together to speak about this. And he had proposed really a, a, a process similar to the National Encuentro, the Quinto Encuentro, that would begin at the local level and would move then to even a national level. And we were just beginning to discuss this when COVID hit. And of course, when COVID hit, it changed everything for us. And uh, the whole world, as we know, has been dramatically affected on that. But it actually, what it did is it made this revival even more important. And in particular, it made it uh, even, you know, necessary in this time. And so by the time the, the bishops actually were able to meet again, you might remember, you know, nothing happened in, in the summer of 2020. But in November of 2020, the bishops met virtually. And by that time, the bishops were very convinced as a body that we needed this Eucharistic revival. And I was then took over as chair of the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, and we were charged with carrying it out. Now, we spent that whole spring of 2021 um, doing uh, listening sessions and brainstorming sessions with Catholic diocesan and parish leaders, as well as theologians and evangelistic leaders. Um, we began to engage, engage lots of different people at that time. And the idea was, if we're going to do this revival, what should it look like? How should we build it? Um, why is it important to do at this moment? And we, you know, we were really blessed uh, with many different partners who've come to help us in this great work. Um, some of them, some of you might know them. Certainly, partners like the Knights of Columbus and our Sunday Visitor, who've already been very financially supportive. But many other places: the Augustine Institute, the McGrath Institute, the National Federation of Youth Ministry, Catholic Campus Ministry Association. Uh, various universities have come to help us, and so. Really, as we gathered people together in that spring to talk about this, we sensed the excitement and a movement of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit was inviting us as a church in the United States to this very particular focus. And we began to realize that this was a common mission that could help to unite the church at this time. And so, basically, it led us to our goal. And here I put it on the, on the slide here, our mission to renew the church by enkindling a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Now, of course, we recognize that the renewal of the church comes from a relationship with Jesus, and the Eucharist is the source and the summit of this relationship. And so our goal is to draw people into a living relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. And we hope to impact the church at every level over the next three years, be starting in June of this year, June 19th, we will kick it off. And really, this is where you become such an important help to us as we begin to first impact the diocese and then in the second year to impact the parish 
And then in the third, to have an impact, we hope, on a national level and even on those who are outside of the boundaries of our church today. So what's our vision? What do we want to see? Well, we put it here on the screen, too. We want to see a movement of Catholics across the United States. So we're not talking about just something that happens from the bishops or the priests in the pulpit, even from just simply parish employees, as important as we need all those people, but really a movement of Catholics who decide they want to be a part of this. And these are people who've experienced healing and conversion. They've been formed in their understanding of the Eucharist, and they've been unified by that encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist, and then, as we say, sent out on mission for the life of the world. And there we capture that really that kind of key phrase for us, which comes from John 6, 51. My flesh for the life of the world. We want everyone to come to understand this. Now, why now? Well, you know, it's easy to see some of the negative reasons for this movement right now. Most people by now are familiar with the 2019 Pew study and the alarming results of that study, which showed that perhaps as many as 70% of Catholics don't believe in Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist, or at least are not able to understand the Church's teaching on this. And as Bishop Barron once said, he said, if, if Vatican II told us that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our life, and 50 years after Vatican II, 70% of our Catholics don't understand that, then in certain ways we failed and we need to do much more. But we're also aware of many other reasons for doing it, not just the negative reasons, but the positive reasons. For more than 200 years, the Church has seen the need to rekindle love of the Eucharist through Eucharistic Congresses. This has been a movement that has marked the Catholic Church for, for more than two centuries. And the first Eucharistic Congress in the United States, the first international one, was in 1926 when 500,000 people attended Mass in Soldier Field, and they believe as many as a million people attended the closing Mass at Mundelein. And then even other times in the 20th century at Cleveland and New Orleans, we had 500,000 people gather for Eucharistic Congresses. In 1935, Pope Pius XI addressed the crowd by radio. We hope when we have our Eucharistic Congress at the end of the, at, in the third year, at the beginning of the third year, that we'll certainly have Pope Francis addressing us, uh, not by radio, but by live stream or by video. And uh, some of the bishops have even told me that they remember the 1976 Eucharistic Congress. That's the last one we had in our country on any large scale. That was an international Eucharistic Congress. And on that one, uh, Carol Wojtyla, Cardinal Carol Wojtyla, who would become St. John Paul II, shared the stage with St. Teresa of Calcutta. But here's the main reason we're doing the Eucharistic Revival. We believe that right now we need to enkindle and re-enkindle the love of our people so that they can become missionaries, so they can learn to reach out to the margins, so that they can share in this great, this great experience and love we have for the Eucharist. And so we see the Eucharistic Revival right at the heart of this missionary conversion of the Church. We're all aware that the church has to move from maintenance to mission, and the revival is a way to help the whole church in the United States continue to make that important transformation. So how are we going to do this? Well, we've developed five strategic pillars, and these five pillars are, are here. To foster encounters with Jesus through charismatic proclamation and experiences of Eucharistic devotion. So we want to be able to preach about the 
the kerygma, the kerygma, the saving message of Jesus, and specifically how that uh, is connected to the Eucharist. And we all know the power of the kerygma to be able to introduce people into a relationship with Jesus. One of the things to mention that I hope all of you are aware of is that we're forming a cadre of National Eucharistic Preachers. And we will begin um, the, that retreat for those National Eucharistic pre Preachers in just about 10 days. We've got over 50 of them coming together in Chicago for a three-day retreat, which will be the beginning of this movement. And those National Eucharistic Preachers will be available for your parishes, for your diocese, and for the events that you have. And you can already begin to sign up for that on our website, eucharisticrevival.org. But we want to provide these experiences because we know that the problem of um, understanding the depth of Jesus's love for us in the Eucharist is not simply an intellectual problem. And it's something that has to be encountered at the level of the heart. And so uh, we want to provide experiences where the heart can be moved. And we've all seen that happen perhaps with young people or in other circumstances. When they encounter the Lord's presence and adoration, then they want to understand it, right? When they encounter his presence through Holy Communion, then they want to understand it. I always like to share the uh, example of uh, our first American saint, St. Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, who was converted by a Eucharistic procession. She was in Italy. She was not a Catholic. She came out onto the street, and the Blessed Sacrament went by in a procession, and everyone knelt, so she knelt, and she experienced the Lord's presence there. And she knew it was him, even though she didn't understand the Eucharist. And that led her into the church, when she wasn't yet Catholic, she didn't think she could go into churches, so she would go and stand outside close to the tabernacle and pray outside the window to be close to Jesus' presence in the Eucharist, right? Those kind of experiences, when we open to the Holy Spirit, can change people's lives. Second, we want to contemplate and proclaim the doctrine of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist through the truth of our teaching, the beauty of our worship, and the goodness of a life of service. So we do want to give very clear teaching about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And one of the things you'll be hearing is that we're going to be offering online courses for free for people to come to understand uh, the teaching on the Eucharist and the depth and the beauty of our teaching. We also want to be offering ways for people to grow in the, enhancing the beauty of worship. And so we're going to be providing resources what we, for what we call the Ars Celebrandi, right? The art of celebrating the Mass to make it beautiful. And we want to show people that the Eucharist pushes us into service. And so we hope diocese will offer like service days where because of our Eucharistic faith, we actually go out to teach the poor about Jesus's love through our service. The third one, empower grassroots creativity by partnering with movements, apostates, educational institutions, and parishes. And so this is just to show that this is a movement and not simply a program, right? So we really are partnering with all kinds of organizations Really, I keep saying it's a coalition of the willing. <laughs> if someone wants to join this movement, we want you to join. And, uh, and we want everyone to get the sense that this revival is happening. And so we've reached out to a lot of organizations. A lot of organizations have reached out to us. And we don't need to necessarily limit what they do. As I've said before, uh, many times we're starting a fire, not a program. And so uh, if, you know, universities decide to offer conferences on the Eucharist, blessed be God, you know. If other, other organizations and apostolates that are working with young people decide to offer things on the Eucharist, we're very, very grateful. And this will all be part of our, our national movement. And we also hope to be able to highlight those things 
through our website, through our regular communications to all, all who are involved in the revival. Um, the next thing is to reach the smallest unit, parish groups and families. This is really important. Um, you know, we talked about the Pew study, which showed that perhaps as much as 70% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. We have also now done some of our own study. And uh, in our own uh, study, which we, you know, hired professional advertising firms to help us with, to study people's understanding of the Eucharist, it confirmed, uh, in a certain sad way, the pew results. It confirmed that there are people sitting in our pews who don't know the truth of Jesus in the Eucharist, and probably just because they haven't been, haven't been taught. It also confirmed that there's a lot of goodwill. People want to learn, and those who do know want to be part of sharing the truth. But the fact is many people, maybe as high as 30 or 40 percent of the people who are in the pews every Sunday, don't fully understand the sacrifice of the Mass, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, these things. And so really, especially during the parish year, we want to reach to the smallest groups. And so we're going to be encouraging in every parish that we can small groups that will study the Eucharist and come to understand it and encourage families to do this. And we'll provide all these materials for free online. So we really hope that uh, you'll be part of helping us push this material out um, to those smallest levels. And then the last one is also very important to embrace and learn from the various rich intercultural Eucharistic tradition. I'd like to point out that many people don't know that the largest mass that happens every year in the United States is the Vietnamese when they gather for their Marian days in August. They have usually between 80 and 120,000 people come to that event. And they all celebrate, of course, mass together each day of the event. The Vietnamese have an incredible devotion to the Eucharist. They have their own Vietnamese youth movement, Eucharistic youth movement. Of course, we're very much aware of how many of our Latino and uh, Hispanic Catholics have a great devotion to the Eucharist and understand the importance of that devotion, not to mention the many different traditions that come. And so really there's something that uh, the multicultural aspect of our church has to teach us when we understand these intercultural traditions. It can teach the rest of the Catholic world uh, about the importance of devotion and love for the Eucharist and how that makes a, uh, a difference. Of course, the high point of this National Eucharistic Revival is going to be the National Eucharistic Congress. So the National Eucharistic Congress is going to be July 17 to 21, 2024. I should have one of our people put that in the chat. It's July 17 to 21, 2024. We want everyone to be there. This is going to be an opportunity for our whole country to gather and to celebrate the incredible gift of the Eucharist and to really form missionaries uh, for the Eucharist who are sent forth from this national event. And it's going to be the kind of great Catholic events that maybe you are familiar with, like World Youth Day. Uh, it's going to be that kind of event where we gather together, where we have opportunities to be together as a large group in the stadium in, Indi in Indianapolis, or we have opportunities to gather as age groups right? And uh, this, this event, I believe, will be transformative for our country. You know, um, this is one of the biggest initiatives that the bishops of the United States have ever taken on. And so, you know, as I was uh, preparing for November, the November meeting where the bishops had to decide whether or not they were going to 
encouraged us to launch the National Eucharistic Congress Corporation and begin this event, you know, I had my own anxieties. Are the bishops really in favor of, of doing this size of event, this important event? But if you were able to see that, um, that meeting, what you would have seen is that, in fact, uh, the majority of bishops, almost 80%, voted in favor of doing this National Eucharistic Congress. That meant that over 200 bishops, 220 bishops, are saying, we want to do this as a country, and we believe that this is really important to do this kind of national event. So one of the things that we're going to really count on our diocesan point persons and others to help us with is to organize people to come to this national event. I really believe it's going to be a moment of grace for our country and an opportunity for us as a country to lift up the truth of Jesus in the Eucharist and to point out uh, our, our great love for him. And I, I often think in this context about the um, line from our Lord when he says, when I am lifted up, I will call all people to myself. And I really believe that's what he's asking us to do. As we lift up his, our Eucharistic Lord through our celebration of Holy Mass, through a beautiful Eucharistic processions and adoration, through times of prayer before the Blessed Sacrament, as we lift him up, he's going to begin to call people to himself. And so this national event then will end with a missionary sending where we will send people out across the world and then we want to equip them in that third year. It's very important to see the revival doesn't end with a national event. It's the high point. But we need it to go back down to the parishes and even beyond the borders of the parishes at that point to be able to invite people to come to the Eucharist. I often think of that gospel passage where the Lord said, I want my wedding banquet to be full. And he said, as he said that, he, he sent out his people to the highways and byways to invite them in to come to the banquet. And there are so many people in our world today who are hungering for Jesus' love in the Eucharist, but they don't know it. And so we need to be able to send people out to the highways and byways to tell them they're wanted at the banquet. The Lord wants them at the banquet, and he wants to share with them his very self in the gift of the Eucharist. And so it's going to be our job to help form and send those missionaries. I could talk for hours and hours about this, but I think I'm going to uh, end it there because we're going to go on to some very practical things. I'll be, of course, staying on the call and happy to answer questions as we go forward. But please um, hear us when we say, you know, uh, my experience is that the bishops of the United States are very excited about this revival. And so we're very grateful for your participation. And through your prayer and all of our hard work together, I really do believe many people will come to a deeper understanding and knowledge of the love that Jesus has for us in the Eucharist. So thank you. Thank you so much, Bishop Cousins. What a joy to hear from you directly about your hopes and your dreams for the revival. It's clear that this is a unique and historic moment in the life of the church. And we're just grateful for your time and your leadership, particularly. We, I just want to remind you of a few things because we've had a number of people join us um, just recently. We are recording this entire webinar for you to share with your diocesan team and with your bishop so that you can have dialogue regarding the pillars, the theme, the opportunity for this momentum to be generated across your diocese, your parishes, and ultimately in the hearts of all believers. The second component that I want to share is the slides will also be available as well. Um, those will be coming out in a future communication um, from the USCCB. And so you can watch your email for that. 
Um, so we would also invite your, your questions to come through that um, question tab. A lot of you have had questions regarding where's the question tab. If you watch that strip on the bottom of the screen, you're going to see that little icon with a question mark. Um, start getting those questions in. Bishop Cousins will be available throughout this webinar, and we will have time for questions and answers along with our panelists through our conversation today. So thank you again for joining us. As we continue to move into what does this mean? Why now? What's this context um, looking like in the like Pardon me, in the life of the universal church, we know that there are some practicalities that are going to go with that. And so we'd like to invite um, David Spazia, who is executive director of the Secretariat of Evangelization and Catechesis for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops to join us. Uh, prior to his most current role, Dr. Spazia has served as Secretary of Evangelization and Catechesis for the Diocese of Joliet and was principal of St. Joseph Catholic School in Joliet. He is a father of five young adults and he has his doctorate of education from the University of St. Francis. David, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Julianne. Uh, it's really an honor to be here. Um, I am uh, the person who's been able to communicate a little bit via email with all of the point persons here. So thanks so much, everyone, again, for your yes to this important role. Um, thanks for the exchange of emails that we've had and some of the great questions that have already come in. Uh, in less than five minutes, I just want to give a few comments around the themes of why, how, and what. And it'll get a little bit operational, it'll be a little bit practical, but I did want to start with the why. I mean, I could listen to Bishop Cousins talk about the revival, the vision for it, the depth of it, um, you know, for hours. And I've had the, the chance to, to be with him through this process, and it's uh, just been amazing to watch the Holy Spirit at work through this. But in the last few days, I was asking myself, well, why? Why this Eucharistic revival for me personally? Um, how, how do I need to keep growing in a deeper appreciation of the gift of the Eucharist so that I might make a more wholehearted response to the gift? So I've been coming back to that. I was drawn to this passage in Laudato Si that I was just so struck by at the end of Laudato Si. It's paragraph uh, 236 where the Holy Father turns to talk about the Eucharist. And he says just two simple lines I'm lifting out. The Lord in the culmination of the mystery of the incarnation chose to reach out, reach our intimate depths through a fragment of matter. He comes not from above, but from within. He comes that we might find him in this world of ours. So just on this topic of why, if you're like me, you have family and friends, you've got maybe former schoolmates, uh, neighbors, colleagues, who deep down are longing to find Jesus and let him reach out to them in their intimate depths. They're longing for him to come, not from above, but from within. And, um, you know, this is what we're hoping to accomplish with this revival. Um, with that, I want to shift a little bit to the how. That would be the next slide. We can jump off that photo. Thank you. Um, so this is just a little structure of our org chart. Uh, Bishop mentioned the the vision of the Bishop's Conference, the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, um, launching this revival, a multi-committee effort with the Bishop's Advisory Group in place. So Bishop Cousins also is serving as chairman of this new National Eucharistic Congress Corporation. So the corporation on the right side will be moving forward with the plans for that, uh, for that great national event. Uh, they're working closely already with the Archdiocese of Indianapolis team. 
But what we're gonna focus on just briefly here on the how is what we're doing with our executive team um, and the working groups that we have in place to help provide resources to you, to help provide, and in a sense, one of the executive team members put it, a greenhouse, create an environment, the conditions for the possibility for a real bubbling up of, of a grassroots movement that Bishop uh, was just describing. So our executive team consists of a number of outside volunteers, some conference staff members who serve as co-chairs of these nine working groups. And um, from these working groups, some of these great resources will be flowing. Uh, Julianne's co-chair of one of them, and that's uh, why we're all here today on this work on this webinar. So thanks to her group for pulling this together. If we could jump to the next slide, which gives a little bit more on these working groups. The one thought that I had was this this whole structure, this model, it really emerged from something Bishop referred to, which was brainstorming sessions that we did with people who we wanted to reach out to and engage their interests. It really was a synodal strategy, I would say, and a synodal spirit in which we entered into this. We started conversations, asking people about ideas, and from that, we, we got volunteers who stepped forward uh, and offered their time and services in various areas. So even you know in your diocese, maybe you already have a team formed. If you look at your team members, what are their unique skill sets? in some of these different areas? Would they maybe each have a small team that they uh, then led in a certain area? If you're just starting to think about building out your groups, um, consider those in the diocese with a real heart for the Eucharist, with uh, capacity in some of these different areas. Um, so that's how we've moved forward. Maybe that's how you could move forward as well. Uh, just a couple closing comments on what we're gonna be uh, bringing forward in the next uh, several months, um, hitting on a couple of these working groups, communications and marketing with a, a great firm we're working with. I know a number of people have asked about logo and marketing kit and so on. We will have that soon and very soon. A 2.0 version of our website, eucharisticrevival.org, will be up. That website will have a section for point persons where we'll be able to share some things directly with you and for you, and you'll be able to share a little bit with each other. We're also working on a weekly newsletter, which will launch at the start of the revival. We hope to have you know, a million subscribers to that um, moving forward where we can share some inspiration, some great content. Um, we also are gonna have this free resource site, which will uh, have catechetical materials, materials on the liturgy and so on, available for anyone who's interested, uh, a, a great place for this, for small groups to dive in and explore. Um, you'll hear momentarily about the National Eucharistic Preachers. Father Jorge Torres uh, has been spearheading that uh, with his working group. Also coming soon in the fall will be these online courses that Bishop Cousins referred to. Uh, for those parish leaders, diocesan leaders, who, who want to be missionary, uh, Eucharistic missionaries, uh, so it'd be online opportunities for some training that would then really equip people to move forward and to head outward. A um, couple of other quick things just to highlight um, the, the part, uh, partnerships and collaborations, excuse me, um, prayer, prayer partners uh, will be supporting us throughout, already are supporting us. We have a number of contemplative communities who've signed on to pray for the Eucharistic Revival. So with that, I want to just close 
with, again, a thank you and an encouragement. And my encouragement is basically, um, as Bishop said, we're starting a fire. It's not a program. You can't do this program wrong. There's no way to do this in a wrong way. You can't do it too late. <laughs> You're not behind. Um, it's, it's whatever is going to work in your local setting to build on the capacity that's there and to invite people to this deeper encounter with the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. So thanks so much. And look Thank you. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate, too, the encouragement to the diocesan teams that are watching or listening in. There is going to be ample support provided. It's early days. We've got lots of time here, and um, so there's going to be a lot of information coming. I just want to acknowledge that there's some really great interchanges happening in the chat bar, particularly by Valerie and Francis, who are sharing their diocesan Eucharistic revival pages. We will be collecting all of that information because we do want to share those best practices. This is the first in a series of webinars. Um, so you will receive a lot of support for your role, especially regarding information, tactics, strategy. But just going back to the beginning, um, a little bit today with the Holy Father and also this moment to enter into solidarity um, all across the world to call upon Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, to lead us to our son. Tim Glunkowski is going to join us to share sort of this moment for the heart of the renewal. Tim also knows uh, what it's like to be in a diocesan offices because he has many, many years of parenting and diocesan experience. Tim is chief strategist for the Bishop's Office in the Archdiocese of Denver. He's a very popular writer, speaker, and author, graduating from Franciscan University of Steubenville. And one of his favorite pastimes is to hike in the mountains with his family. So Tim, thanks for joining us today. And we're looking forward to your comments, especially for those diocesan point people who might be feeling, gosh, this is a lot to take in right now. Thanks, Julianne. Yeah, and it's good to be with you all. And yeah, I just want to provide a little bit of clarity on the role of the diocesan point person, especially for those of you who might have uh, maybe been tapped on the shoulder by uh, your bishop to, to serve in this capacity and are wondering just a little bit more, what have you signed up for uh, and, and uh, what's it going to take? So um, in a particular way, the, the primary responsibilities of a diocesan point person, right, is you're serving as that, that primary contact and, and chief organizer and coordinator for the USCCB's executive team for the revival. So I think there's an interesting kind of point of, of reference here of understanding. I love that David used that analogy that we've been talking about, about the greenhouse, um, where that, that image of revival for me is, is so much about um, the action of God, you know, through this. And I think as I've come closer to this work, I've become convicted uh, that first and foremost, this revival, this Eucharistic renewal that's happening uh, across the country is something that's really driven by God. You know, I think about fire and what does fire need to, to continue burning and spreading? Uh, it needs oxygen, right? It needs the Holy Spirit. And um, in a particular way, that's that, that work of that local uh, working and collaborating team that's going to um, uh, you know, kind of uh, collaborate with you. I think it is in so many ways uh, to employ the, the local creativity and discernment and prayer and gifts um, of all the people, you know, in your diocesan office and, and you know, and locally um, to really understand and, and how the local church can, can start to help this revival burn um, in, in your context, right? To not be just this uh, top-down initiative or something that just the bishops are doing, but really in a particular way that, that how the, the local church is going to drive it 
um, in, in their context as well, too, because you know your people best, right? And you know your context best, and you know uh, the things that are already going on best, that you can identify current and existing uh, diocesan initiatives um, that can that can already support the process and that can be pulled into this work and, and tagged along. I love that David says, like, you can't do this wrong, you know? Um, even questions around branding, we're going to have branding resources and, and some materials, you know, for you, especially in some of those kind of key uh, you know, points that are, are, are going to be, you know, universally across every diocese, things like the, the Eucharistic processions this summer that are going to kick off the diocesan year in so many ways. Um, but it's really that local team praying and discerning like, all right, God, what are you doing here so that we can drive revival? So that all the, the air support of, of marketing and communications, campaigns and resources, things that are coming out of the executive team are just going to be serving to, to empower and to be employed and implemented and, and, and to support everything that you're doing um, at the local uh, level. And so kind of with that being the, the main point of, of reference for the executive team, who in a particular way, Julianne's group, but all the, uh, you know, different working groups, I serve on the marketing and communications group are going to be supporting. Uh, in a particular way, we're hoping the diocesan point person can then serve as well too, is, is the rallying point uh, for all communications to parishes. So especially as we head into that second parish year, but we know in some ways some of these years are going to blend together and there's going to be parishes already raising their hand and wanting to get involved and, uh, you know, local promoters, people that are, are, are going to want to say, what can I do and, and how can I get engaged and involved, um, that you can be their primary, uh, you know, point of contact uh, and support um, so that this is really trickling, you know, all the way down to, to every every parish, small group, every family, every disciple, uh, and then ultimately to the margins, right, which is the, the goal of, of all of this work in so many ways, is that even those who, who have not come yet to the joy and life to the full found in an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist might find that as well. So uh, this, this is kind of your role in many ways. It's, you know, that team, I think, is critical and essential for, for being able to help you uh, in, in a particular way. So I like David's suggestion of maybe even looking at some of the structure of the revival that, that we've found to be helpful at the executive team level and considering, you know, the different roles that might support you um, in your own efforts as well, too. Um, but, but really, I think the message we wanted to drill in here is that uh, this is, if this is a revival, uh, it's going to be led primarily by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and God wants to speak. He's doing something in his church. He wants to speak to you and your team about his plan for how more people are kind of come to belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist in a way that's going to have a lasting impact. So that's the last kind of point that I wanted to leave with is, is this line from Jesus comes to mind as Bishop Cousins is talking, you know, I've, I've appointed you to bear fruit that will last. And I think the beauty of this three-year process, again, you're not behind because there's going to be a three-year initiative, pastoral action that's going to carry out this work uh, over time. And, and I think that, you know, with that culminating event, that Congress in Indianapolis is going to create really that greenhouse or that ecosystem where real fruit that's going to have deep roots and that will really last will, will happen here. So I'm from the Chicagoland area originally. We live in Denver now because it has mountains and sun and Chicago has neither of those. But um, the if you've ever gone to a retreat at Mundelein Seminary or a conference, uh, if you're laying there in your room at night, you can hear the train going past very closely to Mundelein Seminary. Uh, and, and every time I'm there on, on a retreat and I'm sleeping at night, I hear that train and it's a source of comfort for me. And here's why. That train was built just behind the seminary there specifically for the Eucharistic Congress, that final mass that took place on Mundelein Seminary. There was no train heading out. Mundelein was the middle of nowhere uh, in 1926. And they built, that was their, the extent of their devotion and their, their desire to go uh, to the heights 
for God, for Jesus in the Eucharist and for the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, such that they built a train to bring people from the city for that million person final mass. And so I, I sense, you know, given the Holy Father's prayer and, and that we're kicking off, you know, kind of this first webinar on the same day, that's something similarly profound. And I, I sense the gravitas of the moment in so many ways. And so, um, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever we exist in some ways, this, this group and these webinars uh, to support you and your efforts. And so we're praying for you, but, but also, you know, let us know what you need um, that can really help you uh, to, to get this fire burning locally. Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate your note on the connection between faithfulness and fruitfulness. And so this moment that uh, Bishop Cousins reminded us of to come to the Lord, to be invigorated and renewed in friendship with him leads us to encounter Jesus in the Eucharist more profoundly and sends us out on mission. Um, I just want to remind everyone to please get those comments coming in, those questions coming in in the chat bar. Um, but right now, I'd love to just, uh, as you think about everything you've heard so far, for all those who are coming in from Pueblo and Buffalo and Sacramento, we saw where you're all coming in from all across the country. As I get ready to welcome our next guest, which is Marilyn Santos, I'd love you to think about what one word describes how you're feeling about the Eucharistic revival right now. Just what one word. So if you could use the chat bar to just communicate with us, um, we'd like to see what the hope of that um, is, is kind of causing to bubble up in you. So please, oh, hopeful, excited. Thank you. Excited, a lot of hopeful and excited. I'm seeing grace, beautiful. Thank you so much. Wonder, let's go, said Armando, which is wonderful. And I see a number of those comments coming in. Marilyn Santos is going to join us right now. Let me tell you a little bit about Marilyn. She is the Associate Director of the Secretariat of Evangelization and Catechesis at the USCCB, having previously served as the Director of Mission Education in the National Office of the Pontifical Mission Societies in the United States. Marilyn has had, held extensive leadership across a broad range of ministries like youth, young adult, and cultural diversity in a range of different diocesan offices. So she understands what this moment might feel like for you. Marilyn, can you share with us as um, as those who are listening, what some of those high points regarding the revival are going to be, particularly with regard to Corpus Christi? Great. Thanks, Julianne. And I just, I want to echo um, my fellow team members, just gratitude. And I'm actually going to answer your question. Um, the word that came to mind to me was moved. Um, it didn't strike me as a coincidence that as we were trying to be respectful of people's time for the webinar and participate with the Holy Father, that the timing of it, that's not a coincidence that the consecration just fit exactly um, when we were getting started. And I, so the, I feel very filled with the spirit um, and, and moved. So, you know, as David and Bishop Cousins and, and Tim have already shared, um, our, our role that we see as the USCCB or with and the team that we've pulled together in this executive committee is to really be at your service, to, to provide as much as we can um, guidelines, uh, but we'd really want to encourage, I think it was Bishop Cousins that said, to let the spirit spark your creativity. So we do, um, we have set out, as you see in front of you, what we're calling them phases. Uh, we are currently in phase one, as you can see, very, Rapidly, we'll be entering into phase two, which we're referring to as the launch of the revival um, and what the diocesan year, then followed by a parish year uh, in 2024. We will have the, the great event as the National Eucharistic Congress. But again, it's a high point in, or more 
I see it as a launching pad to continue this movement moving forward. So if we go to the next couple of slides, what you'll see that our goal in phase one is what we're doing now, and this webinar is very much a part of it, is to really begin to share, cast that vision, get input from, from all, all levels of the church. Um, you can see everybody that we've engaged with. Uh, we can go to the next slide. And then there's a lot of words here, as Julianne said, uh, we will be sharing not only the recording, but this deck, the PowerPoint with you as well. So we share this with you just so that you can see some of the what we're calling supporting activities that all these different working groups and these executive committee have already been working on um, to be at your service. So we were welcome to, to share these resources, to adapt them to your reality, um, and just keep on checking in with us. I, I believe that in the chat we have posted, if, if you are currently not receiving the, those lovely communications that David referred to before, please sign up and, and you will be recipient. So if we can go to the next slide, you can see that um, phase two is as we are launching um, Corpus Christi this year. And I know Juliana and I were having a little conversation a couple of weeks ago and we thought Corpus Christi as a liturgical date, um, it is not only the logical date to launch this on, but what we're asking is anything that you normally do, as every diocese um, will do something for Corpus Christi, maybe do something a little extra this year. Maybe, um, you know, in have a larger procession. If you happen to have um, a shrine or a pilgrimage site that is located in the boundaries of your diocese, perhaps invite them to partner. So, you know, as you build out these teams that Tim, again, explained so beautifully, is start thinking of who can be invited to the team, who has the passion, the gifts, the graces to, to help help you so that as a diocesan point person, you are the, the keeper of the vision in a way I see it. Um, and then you, you gather and you animate those around you to to keep it moving forward. Um, the things that we've highlighted in, in gold are the things that um, we feel from, from our perspective are really key moments that we would love that, it, knowing that not everybody, depending on your circumstances and your resources, can do everything. Um, the things in yellow are the things that we feel um, we would strongly recommend that you, you do the best that you can. So again, Corpus Christi and then maybe you know plan your own diocesan congress or or a gathering um whatever whatever is possible so if we move forward to the next slide then then phase three uh begins what we're calling the parish year however what we're anticipating hopefully what we're envisioning is that by this point your diocesan team is robust and, and engaged and that along the way you have actually picked up folks that work on the parish level to be on these teams with you so you continue generating the momentum, the resources, um, the, the events, the initiatives that will be more parish-based and the parish year is an incredible year to really start bringing out and concentrating, as Bishop said, all the, the diversity. So speaking to the, you know, how the Eucharist is reflected in the different parishes and um, the different communities that you have there. So again, that year, we're really encouraging that there's um, a lot of parish processions going around simultaneously, again, on, on Corpus Christi as the official launch of the parish 
phase. All of those working groups that David um, shared with you on that slide are, are busily working on creating resources. Some of you have already received um, some of the resources that the leadership resources, which is the group that as Julianne and Father Dan Hanley currently co-chair and a lot of people that are working behind the scenes. So thank you with us today on this webinar have been the creators of the, the quick launch document. And again, if you have not received those, just please um, use that link, um, sign up, and we will be more than happy to send you all of that information. This is also the phase, we'll be going into phase four, where by this point, we will have um, a full marketing campaign for the National Eucharistic Congress. I did see some of the questions that are coming up on the chat. Um, I can tell you from a, a larger, the, the on-ramps, in other words, how people will be able to register are going to be multiple. So parish groups will be able to sign up as a group, diocesan delegations, individuals, uh, families. So we're really, this Congress is for everybody. Uh, we, as Bishop said, our goal is um, no less than 80,000. So we we hope that you join us in, in prayers for us achieving achieving those goals. Um, and all the, we will be busily behind the scenes, continue to create more resources, initiatives, but anything that we create is meant to be as a service to you. You are free to adapt them and use them or create your own. And if you do create your own things, please do share it with us so that we can share the wealth um, with all your other um, diocesan teams along the way. Um, and, and then of course, um, the revival is a launching pad. The Congress is a launching pad. So after we gather in July for what's sure to be a, such a spirit-driven um, week that I, I can, sometimes I even get goosebumps just thinking about it is um, what happens after you know I know that a lot of you may have experience with World Youth Days and sometimes you know rightly so the the complaint I'm gonna say has been you know we have these mountaintop experiences with young people and then what so we already now you know right now in for the last year 2022 currently are very very much focused on what's going to happen after july 2024 and your input um on those things are very very much welcome for us um we you know please feel free to communicate with us um because we we need to hear um this is this is very much a team a team effort so again just please know that um we're here for to serve you um and, and if you anything that you share with us, we will be happy to share with your uh, fellow diocesan point persons um, across the nation. Thank you so so much, Marilyn, for outlining this the phases, if you will, that diocesan uh, and parish staff can avail of. Just a note that um, we know many of you have very robust Eucharistic uh, Congresses in your own diocese. I'm thinking here, for example, Boston and Atlanta in particular, but there are revivals type events all across the country. We know that clergy congresses and catechist in-services are part of the regular work of the diocesan offices. So this is an opportunity for you to look at what Marilyn presented in the scope of what you're currently doing and look for some fresh inspiration. Again, this works two ways. So if you have suggestions for us, Bishop Cousins is here listening in with a keen ear to hear what you need and our committees are at your service. So as those questions are coming in, just know we're going to be getting to those in a few moments. There is one piece that we mentioned earlier, which some of you um, have expressed a curiosity in, which is this note around the Eucharistic preachers 
So um, we're going to begin talking about that now with Father Torres, who is a priest of the Diocese of Orlando, who's currently serving as a specialist for the Secretariat for Evangelization and Catechesis. His priestly ministry included service as a chaplain for campus ministry at the University of Central Florida, vocations director for the Diocese of Orlando, and secretary of the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors. We're so grateful for you uh, presence here with us today, Father, um, and if you could share with us a little bit on the Eucharistic preachers, because I know that's a question that has come in, be grateful. Great. Thank you so much, Julianne. It's a pleasure to be with each of you. It's exciting, and um, as of this afternoon, invitations were sent to the different preachers that have signed up. For all of you who have already made a request, we're beginning the booking process, and it will begin to happen. So if you have not made a request, um, now is your chance. Um, I would like to tell you that I'm gonna have a, a t-shirt to go along with it if you sign up now, but you'll get an extra rosary. Um, you'll get an extra prayer. And so they, as Bishop mentioned, the retreat will be in about 10 days. It's gonna be an incredible experience. The talks that will be given there will be shared later on for formation at the diocesan level and at the parish level, but it's an incredibly exciting group of priests. Um, and we're looking forward to sharing the great news about the Eucharist with your presbyterates, with your faith formation groups, with your um, catechetical days, um, parish and diocesan leadership. And it's not limited to one event in a diocese. If you need us to go in maybe for a youth event later on, that would be wonderful as well. And we are gonna do our best to team up your desire and your needs not only with availability, but also with talents. So the priests themselves have identified where they feel called to preach. Do they feel called to preach to youth? Do they feel called to maybe do something more academic at the university level? And so we are here to serve you and we are open for business. Thank you, Father. Can I ask if, because I know this is going to be a question, um, our, our National Eucharistic Preachers Group is multilingual from what I understand. Can you address that? Sure, that's a great question. We're definitely ready to do Spanish, English. We have Vietnamese. We, I'm sure we have some Polish and we can definitely diversify as needed. Thank you, I really appreciate that. So our panelists are going to stay on with us at the moment to address some of the questions that you have. Again, our panelists today, uh, Bishop Andrew Cousins, David Spezia, Marlon Santos, Father Jorge Torres, and Tim Glenkowski. Um, we're gonna start with an easy question. I'm going to direct it to Bishop Cousins or David, whoever has the information to hand. But currently, how many diocesan offices are engaged in the work of the Eucharistic revival, um, to your knowledge? So we are, we are right at 100 at the moment. Uh, 100 dioceses have submitted names of point persons. Uh, there are others we've heard of who will be contacting us soon, or maybe thinking about using some of their people working on the Synod and having them transition. But right now we're at a solid 100. So of course, ultimately we'd like to double that. <laughs> That's what my next question is going to be, Bishop Cousins. Your hope and your dream is for every diocese to, every diocese to participate, correct? Yeah, and there's just, I think there's around 220, 230 dioceses in the country. And uh, as I said, well over 200 bishops wrote, voted in favor of this. So we're, we're expecting, you know, that as we go, we'll gain diocese and point persons from every diocese would be our great hope. 
Thank you. For but those people, people can help us with the ground game on that. If you know, if your diocese or you have friends in other dioceses who want to be it, you know, they can certainly encourage their uh, to try to participate. That was going to be my next question. You took the words right out of my mouth. We definitely want to see some word of mouth happening with that. So thank you so much, Bishop and David, for answering that question. Um, a question has come in um, regarding Eucharistic tra our training for Eucharistic lay preachers, especially following the sending forth at the national event. So um, could somebody please address this? Um, we had used that term Eucharistic missionary. What's your vision for the Eucharistic missionaries and what will that look like, Bishop? Yeah, so we have two different things. We decided with our, our core of Eucharistic preachers just to begin with the priests, partially because the, uh, it, it was a limited number. <laughs> and so, um, so we've been training and we're going to send these Eucharistic preachers who are priests. Um, during this next year of the revival, we want as many people as possible to sign up to become Eucharistic missionaries. And these are simply lay people uh, at every level of the life of the church who would go through one of our courses who then would make themselves available to their diocese and parish to help out with the revival, especially in the parish year. So you can imagine the Knights of Columbus are very engaged in this. What if every Knight of Columbus became a Eucharistic missionary? They went through a course and then they could help to lead, to lead small groups and parishes. Uh, lots of other groups could do the same, but the idea would be to have as many Eucharistic missionaries as possible. And that's not just limited to people who would work in parishes, but we want more people trained in their understanding of the Eucharist so that they're ready to share that with others. The, uh, in the year after the National Eucharistic Congress, we want, we want this movement to continue. And so that's when we really will provide resources for a lot of those missionaries to how, uh, how to reach out beyond the parish boundaries. You know, some of our study though has shown that we really have to do the work first in the parish. Uh, and kind of what I quoted earlier, you know, when, when somewhere around 40% of the people in the pew every Sunday perhaps don't fully understand the gift of the Eucharist, which is what our studies have shown, then we have a lot of work to do with the people in the pews. And so that's been our thought. The first two years are really focused, especially that parish year on the people in the pews, and then we'll be um, putting forth missionaries. We didn't, uh, obviously, you know, there are incredible lay people able to teach on the Eucharist better than even some of our priests. And so as there are diocesan Eucharistic events and Eucharistic Congresses, we hope that many lay people will, will step forward to serve in those positions. We're going to provide the priests to be able to do that. Thank you so much, Bishop. I see a lot of head nodding from the panelists. A general question has come in around resourcing. Um, and so a couple of questions regarding resourcing for high schools, resources for Catholic schools, resourcing for adults. Um, what kind of resources will be available? David, Marilyn, do you want to share a little bit about resources? And then Tim, um, if you could um, address maybe resources around marketing and branding. There's been some questions coming in on that. So um, we'll, we'll take those two topics separately right now. Marilyn? Sure. Oh, sure. Sure, Julianne. Well, um, uh, the resources that are going to be created, the first thing I'll say are for all those categories and more. So there will be things that are specifically for, for adolescents, for youth, very distinct from young adults, for families um, and, and all. Uh, and what those resources will be, um, they're taking different forms. Some of them may be um, uh, 
prayer resources. Some of them may be in print. Some of them may be in videos um, to engage in conversation. Um, for the family ones, it's some family catechesis that um, either the parish director can engage or maybe even just as a family, they can do the catechesis at home. So it's really, it, it's being envisioned as as diverse and, you know, um, as just as helpful as possible. But it's very much focused on, again, who is our target audience for this? It's everybody. So the resources that we are going to be some curating originally, uh, we have um, some publishers that have already engaged and um, with us as partners. So they'll be creating things, um, and then some things that we'll be just curating that already exist. You know, something why we recreate the wheel. There are some wonderful things that we will just highlight, um, and all of these resources will be available on the EucharisticRevival.org website. So we do encourage people to just keep visiting um, on an ongoing basis, but likewise in our communications, as things get uploaded, we will share. But um, if there's something specific that diocesan directors that, that you need, please either put it in the chat because this is helpful for us as well as the working group creates if they know what it is that you need. Thank you, Marilyn. David, a, a couple of questions related to that one, but it's it's an ancillary question, but I think Marilyn, you addressed that so comprehensively. Um, uh, it sounds like there's the timeline on resources going to be drip fed um, as we go along. There's going to be a lot coming. Can you address how people are going to receive many of these resources? Uh, the main distribution channel will be this free resource site. So on the website, there'll be a click here for the free resources. And as you said, the drip fed uh, it's probably probably a good description, but uh, it'll be populated initially with some existing resources that are recommended from our various partners, open access to anyone uh, organized by all ages and stages of faith. And then over time, we'll be building that out in the different categories on that on that platform. Thanks so much, David. That's incredibly helpful for diocesan offices to know that there will be a series of resources housed, but then it will continue to be made evergreen with continuing resources, almost like a resource library. That's great. That's, um, also, that's also why you're going to want to get the newsletter, because the weekly newsletter will contain those updates on a regular basis. So Bishop Cousins, um, just to segue uh, before we move to Tim, can you talk a little bit about what you hope the newsletter is going to be doing for our diocesan folks so that they can watch for that and share with diocesan teams? Yeah, what we hope is that the diocesan newsletter will be an opportunity for the kind of regular drumbeat of the revival. So that people on a weekly basis will get a little bit of inspiration, maybe a little testimony, but also real resources to be able to use. And basically they'll be able to follow what's happening in the revival all around the country through this weekly newsletter. So it'll be another way also for people to share materials with us so they can come in, we can put them in the weekly newsletter if they're happening. So it'll be a way to kind of keep the revival going as we go. And we really hope to start it right around the kickoff in June. Thank you so much, Bishop Cousins. Um, we're going to segue to Tim right now. Tim, some significant questions have come in about marketing, branding, integration with um, maybe uh, local diocesan resources. Can you address some of the branding and communications um, materials that are going to be forthcoming? 
Great. Yeah, happy to. So for the brand package and visual identity, we'd like to make those assets available in the diocesan portal for you to use in your promotional materials, if you, you know, if you'd like. And that doesn't mean, you know, but uh, that you have by any means, but those will be available for you to, to tie in what you're doing to that consistent kind of image that that logo identity and some of the color schemes and um, even some language and messaging, you know, will be part of kind of some of that brand identity. And, and then we'd like to actually create some hard, you know, assets as well too for some of those bigger moments that are you know things you could a flyer you could use if you wanted to just to support um, some of those initiatives in a particular way and then kind of as we go along especially getting it more into the Dassin year there's going to be um, you know we'll, we'll kind of keep you posted on social media channels as those are built out with those with that brand identity and we're gonna have a, like a novena you know to kick off leading into Corpus Christi things like that but then also um, social media campaigns that'll be things you can share easily and engage with and kind of tie into um, there's some great kind of uh, opportunities some certain dioceses are already running ahead with two with some media campaigns that'll be kind of fun to be able to share as best practices in these webinars too and I know people are already in really in that spirit the apostolates and, and other dioceses already in that spirit very much so of sharing and kind of collaborating on different things. So um, yeah, more to come in terms of some of those campaigns, but for launch, what you can expect is, is that brand identity that you can use if you want in your promotional um, campaigns for those diocesan Eucharistic processions. That's our, that's our pledge. Thanks, Tim. That's great. And I know um, that, uh, that those materials are forthcoming and they'll be available pretty soon, right, Tim? Great, thank you. Um, Father Torres, a question has come in regarding the Eucharistic preachers. And uh, the question is, are they going to be limited to particular territory in a sense? Um, or are they going to be like free range uh, national Eucharistic preachers who will wander like itinerant uh, preachers all over the country? Can you share a little bit about that? Um, well, I mean, they have a permission to move about the cabin and the cabin is, you know, people's souls and the, the church throughout the United States so as long as their schedule uh, allows and it lines up with the need of a diocese um, they will be traveling across the country if necessary naturally it'll, it will be easier to keep somebody in a region because they will be more familiar with the territory and perhaps the culture of the the region but um the options are on the all the options are on the table and i also want to mention that diocesan events will get priority at the beginning so if you all of the things that i mentioned earlier will be diocesan and Gradually, we will funnel out to all the other events, such as, you know, there's maybe a dinner youth gathering or something like that. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, I'm, uh, Father Tim Tran is uh, sharing with us in the chat bar. Um, inspired by the retreat for the Eucharistic preachers, would there be an opportunity for a retreat for diocesan point persons and or members of their team? And that's quite an intriguing idea. I can see everyone on the panel going, ooh, that might be something we want to consider. Would anyone like to address uh, the possibility for that to happen? After your bishop. I think absolutely. And we would hope they could do that on the local level too, you know. But what a great idea to model what we're doing on the national level at the local level, especially as you're developing a team of preachers from your diocese, right? Which is an idea that has come up for the parish year. So, those could be priests, those could be lay people. You could uh, train them, have a retreat for them, and then commission them to preach during the parish year. And just, That's wonderful. Yes, Father Torres, go right ahead. Thank you, thank you. Just to add, the talks from the retreat will be recorded and they will be shared. So everybody's gonna have access to the same resources. 
That's wonderful. And so this is an opportunity for diocesan teams. If you regularly have a diocesan retreat day, or maybe if you don't, here's the opportunity to partner with the Eucharistic Revival to have this moment um, to, to really renew um, you all as we go out um, to share the joy of the gospel. Um, and a couple of questions have come in around enculturation and Spanish. Um, so I want to handle these kind of together. Um, a couple of questions regarding an enculturation. So um, images, um, are we attentive to the imagery um, of what we're putting out, resourcing? Um, is it known, for example, also when the bishop's document on the Eucharist will also be available in Spanish? So a couple of questions on the enculturation. I invite anybody to share. Marilyn, I saw you leaning in. So if you'd like to potentially go first, that would be great. Okay, well, I'm gonna answer the last question first. And I happen to know that um, the translation has been done. So, and it has been approved. So look for, it should be out soon. So <laughs> it's always good to have an, an, a quick answer. And then yes, absolutely. As Bishop Cousins, you know, at the beginning of this webinar, um, it's one of our pillars. Um, it's really one of the pillars is to really in, in, in the enculturation um, and all the diversity that we're gifted with here in this country. So I know that the website, eucharisticrevival.org is in English and Spanish. Um, you can toggle, I believe it's on the upper right corner and it'll be in Spanish. I know that um, the resources that are being um, provided are very intentionally um, not just translations of, you know, word to word translations, but cultural translations. So the resources may not all be identical um, because they will, you know, from a culture, you respond differently. Um, and then as Father um, Jorge noted, um, as with the preachers, we are very intentionally um, making sure that um, who is on these working groups um, includes people from other um, ethnic cultures, not just Latinos. Um, we have, you know, African-Americans, um, Vietnamese, um, Filipinos, you know, of Asian Pacific. So we we have been very intentional um, in, in, in discerning who is sitting on these teams that people who represent the different cultures because, um, we can't be experts. So we, who we're bringing to the table, we are very aware of that. So um, thank you for reminding us. And that's a great, a great reminder to all of us, Marilyn, because as these webinars continue to grow and develop, we will be sharing and inviting folks from all different perspectives and backgrounds to, to be a part of these webinars. So the, the initial webinar today is to really to set the context and the foundation for this unique moment in the life of the church. But going forward, we'll be able to maybe develop some of those webinars, resourcing um, and go into each of these areas in turn, which would be great. Um, there's a question that has come up and I'm going to bundle this one again because it's, um, it's, it's twofold really. It's around apathy to the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist from our leadership, our priests, or folks in the pew. And so many people are asking questions related to um, encouraging our folks to come back to mass, particularly in this pandemic time that we are in. Um, what advice would our panelists have for, for that particular scenario that's playing out in every parish across the country right now? And I would start with the uh, uh, importance of helping those leadership in our church understand the opportunity that we have here. And so that question made me think about a way to package some of what we've learned in our study to be able to get that out to priests, parish leaders, so they can see that, you no, know, really, there's a, a opportunity here 
for people to come to a deeper understanding of the Eucharist. Um, in terms of the larger apathy, I think that's a part of the missionary endeavor that we have. I was encouraged that our study showed that the core of our people who really understand church's teaching also want to be part of sharing. And so I think if we can motivate those people who are really our core, they can help us be part of um, lifting up and breaking down that apathy that's out there. But we all are looking for ways as well to reach those who maybe haven't come back from COVID yet. Uh, our advertising research also showed that there are still people who are waiting for COVID to end before they come back to Matt. And so looking for ways to kind of reach them is a goal for us. If you have ideas for that, please help us. Thank you so much. I know this weighs heavily on people's hearts because it affects families so deeply and it's so painful. So thank you for the encouragement there. Regarding the, the study that was referenced, um, regarding kind of a clarification on the data regarding real presence of uh, um, real belief in, in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, is there going to be a general release on the research uh, regarding what, what the USCCB is learning? Yeah, ultimately there will be. So we're kind of two studies. We finished the advertising study, Paris also did the study. And so those are published. Uh, the Paris study for sure will be published. And we'll use that data to probably do a webinar like this, where we can talk about that period. We want that for Bishop, we want it for others as well. Thank you so much. Anyone, anyone else from the panelists want to, uh, Tim, did I see you leaning in there? Please, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. jump right in. I think it, it, the, the question um, ties a little bit. Yeah, so executive summaries of some of those studies and campaign, I think, um, as a way to, to help you know, see the need and identify the need. But I think I see one of the great tasks of the diocesan year almost, of the point person in concert uh, with the bishop, of course, you know, him kind of operating uh, with you as, as chief vision casting officer too, you know, for this, uh, for this endeavor to really um, articulate the need and, and the whole heart behind it, you know, healed, converted, formed, unified, and sent like the, the, the full, um, and, and that's something that, you know, we talked a lot when we were kind of, you know, wrestling with this top idea of well, what is this revival? What's God attempting to do? It's like, he wants to renew our chanceries. Uh, with devotion, you know, and devotion to the the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, and have people be healed and, and brought to a new love of Jesus in that, and our presbyterates, you know, and and brought into that um, too. So I think um, sometimes, you know, helping people to um, themselves, you know, come to a new encounter and also really recognize the need. I think it is a challenge at, at times where it might not always be readily identified, but. Um, I do think that that is, in a particular way, some of that work of the first year is to really say, how do we we form mindsets around this uh, revival and, and really um, work with those groups that are going to be instrumental in the parish year to walking it back out um, to all the parishes uh, to rally them in year one. It's oh, a and great I'm moment. Just on uh, market uh, materials, everything will be in Spanish. Yeah. Online resources. Um, everything too will be in Spanish as well. And I saw a question too, we're very sensitive to wanting to um, in particular promote uh, imagery around the mass. Uh, someone had asked this question and, and that's gonna be a big priority with everything that we do that, that the mass and the liturgy is the source and summit in a particular way. Um, so that's a, a top of mind for us as well. So look for that in that 2.0 website, David. Uh, 
mentioned. Thank you, Tim, because that was going to be my follow-up question. Um, so I'm glad that you covered that. Um, I'm going to ask David, because it's one that's coming in, but I know it's going to be pressing on people's hearts and minds, which is the Synod. Um, and the question has come in, um, do you have any advice for leveraging the insights from the synodal process and connecting the dots between the synod and the revival? So David, any wisdom to share there? So that's a great question. So I, I will defer to Father Jorge momentarily because he I know he had some specific thoughts on this. I would say just generally, we've had a couple of the bishops um, on our committees, they've mentioned specifically building off the momentum of their synod and they're looking at some of the things they've been hearing that are concerns about the Eucharist, concerns about the Mass, and so on and so on. And to, to use that momentum and then maybe even the teams that they have formed to help launch forward then into the revival. But Father, Father Jorge, you, you had maybe a couple other specific things? Sure, thank you, David. So as David mentioned earlier, the process into the revival was synodal. There was a survey and the bishops heard from the people of God and they, the bishops are responding. So that's the first process, if you will. Um, you'll also go through a synodal process as you pray and discern with your team how to respond to the invitation to revival in your own parishes and your own dioceses. Specifically on the Vatimecum, the working tool of the Synod, there's an invitation to allow the questions that have to do with the celebration of the Eucharist to be the most important. And so those are, it's the only time that the document itself uses the words most important. And so there the Holy Father is guiding us to remember that, you know, the beautiful truth that to love God above all things will lead us to eternal life. The other part with it is, you know, I'm in a new role here, but as of up until July, I was a pastor and I would stand at the entrance of the church. And as people are coming and going, there's always the greeting line. And so often there as a pastor, what I was hearing is my children aren't coming to church or what are you doing for youth and things like that. And that's what we're hearing even from bishops. How can we transmit this beautiful faith to the next generation? And the bishops are hearing it, people are bringing it forth. And so the revival, I feel, will be a great tool to say, let's do something together. Let's not just talk about it. That is a fitting note to, to almost end our time on. And I will mention um, in the quick launch framework document, which you should have received, and if you don't, no fear that will be sent out again, that there is um, a connecting point with the synodal process in terms of the questions that were identified. So look to that document um, if you're just beginning to consider this conversation. I also want to acknowledge that there's a really great interchange happening in the chat bar. People are sharing their documents and their processes, and that is exactly part of the reason why we wanted to gather everyone together, which is this cross-sharing, this cross-pollination of work for the Lord. Um, I do want to mention that we are planning these regularly and our next um, webinar, if um, we could share that slide, so I would make sure that I don't uh, get the date wrong, which is April 26th. Um, from 1 to 2.30, we will be having a second webinar. We'll be delving more deeply into some of the practicalities and uh, focusing on Corpus Christi and the launch. Um, and so we would invite you to share any thoughts that you have with us so that we can accommodate them. The format will be similar today, but uh, perhaps some different guests. So um, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we are going to close out um, our conversation today. 
and thank you and uh, gratitude for all of you being here with us today. Um, we'll, we'll pass it back to Bishop Cousins um, and just uh, in gratitude for his leadership too. Bishop Cousins, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. And let's uh, just close again in prayer, turning ourselves to Our Lady, thanking her for the many graces and especially asking her to intercede for this revival uh, as spouse of the Holy Spirit that it might be used by the Holy Spirit for great good. Let's pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Mother Mary, we thank you for your fiat. We thank you for the gift of your heart. We pray that you would take us into your immaculate heart and that you would intercede for us in all that we do. We do pray for peace in our world and we pray for a revival of faith and relationship in Jesus through the Holy Eucharist. Bless all the work of this revival and all the people who have participated in this webinar. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Bishop Cousins. As always, I appreciate that you remind us of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in leading us forth. I just want to mention a huge thank you also to our partners who are working with us on this webinar series. Uh, Jonathan Sitko, Father Frank Donio and team at the Catholic Apostolate Center. Uh, we are so grateful for their support and um, we look forward to um, doing more of these webinars and hearing from you. Thank you, everybody. God bless and have a wonderful weekend.